Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to come in your word. Lord, thank you for the promises of your word that we can hold to amidst the trials in our life and amidst the trials going on in our world, Lord God. Thank you, God, that you are the God of salvation. Thank you that you are the deliverer. Thank you that you are mighty to save. And Lord, we pray for salvation, Lord, for those who do not know you. Lord, we pray for your country, Israel. We pray for your people, Lord. We pray for that land. Heavenly Father, we pray that people would look up to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters who know you, that they would share who you are, Lord, that on each side, Lord, people would come to repentance and knowing you, Mashiach, Messiah. Please, Lord. Father, be with us as we dwell in your word right now. May it be a salve to our souls and may it spark that fire as the living, powerful, double-edged sword, Lord, to pierce us that we run better for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, last week we studied Psalm 17 and we got to see the security and anchor that we have in God, in our King Jesus. The charge that you had last week, one was to take stock of your prayer life. Did you do that? Did you take stock of your prayer life? Did you think and, and ponder how, what does my prayer life look like? What does that relationship look like? Did you evaluate how much of your prayer life is faith? How much of your prayer life is feelings? Did you evaluate the consistency of your prayer life? And how did you do checking? Is prayer your default action? When trial comes, when tribulation comes, when something happens, is prayer the default? Boom. Our sister, Sarah Lynn, has a great line about prayer after last week. I'll let her share it with you in her own time, but I'm, I'm not going to say it because it's funny. The zip up your, you know, yeah, okay. So make sure that you are doing that prayer as the default. Secondly, can you say, you have tested my heart, you have visited me in the night, you have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the words of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. Those are verses three to five. And particularly, can you go through when you're in that trial and know I've gone to you, Lord, and had you test my heart. I've asked you to visit me at night. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. And that's sin amidst the trial. I'm not gonna speak of this trial of a way that causes me to sin against you. Are you doing that? Are you asking God to give you open heart surgery in the midst of the trials? And the last verse of the Psalm we saw, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Are you embracing eternity? Are you embracing eternity? Remember, we're going to be face-to-face with our king. Are you relishing in that? And are you relaying it to others? The fire of evangelism, we can't wait anymore. Don't wait for the perfect setup. Don't wait for the perfect circumstance. Share who Jesus is. Share who he is. And how much thinking are you doing about eternity? How much have you told people about eternity? Tonight, Psalm 18, and the title of tonight's message is Only God, Only God. 
This is another song of David. And again, it's another reminder of God's faithfulness and his anchor as deliverer. Tonight at prayer, we sang, great is thy faithfulness. How often do you ponder and relish in the security and anchor that we have in God? You know, just sit and decide, I'm just gonna think about my security in God right now. I'm gonna think about his faithfulness. Only God is the one who remains eternally faithful to his children, eternally faithful to his people. And boy, does that have meaning when we look at what's going on in Israel. Now, when we look at this psalm, some things to know backstory-wise, this is one of the longer psalms. It's 50 verses, so that's why we're not going to do it all tonight, unless we want to do an all-nighter. Who's in? No one said, there we go, we got one. Do I got two? No. So we're, we're just going to do, oh, we got two, okay, we're doing it. Uh, we're going to just go through Psalms till Pastor David leaves for India, all right? No. Um, now, there are three longer Psalms than this, Psalm 78, Psalm 89, and Psalm 119. Those are the three that are longer. And the length is useful to this Psalm because this is a Psalm reflecting on David recounting God's faithfulness to deliver him. And boy, is it appropriate for the length and the depth that he goes into. Not only is the psalm itself long, when we look at the title of Psalm 18, it's quite long as well. The only longer one is Psalm 60. In the title we read, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, it's a long title. We could do a whole message just on that title, truly. Now, when we look at that, this psalm is to the chief musician. This psalm is to God himself. It's an important thing to remember. We sing to God. We worship God. Worship isn't about us. It's about God. Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill, my prayer for us is to continually to be that body that truly corporately worships our king. I've said it before, one of the best things about being on worship team is I, I feel like we get a glimpse of eternity because this body, when we're all here Sunday, whoo, this church can sing. And it's like a glimpse of heaven, the way that, that music goes up. But who is it to? Our king. And worship is essential. Encourage one another, particularly those with the little kids in our church. Encourage them. Worship is a family. Where else will kids learn to worship? But seeing mommy and daddy worshiping, it's praising him. When we praise him, when we lift up our king, guess what we do in that moment? We also remind ourselves of who he is. When we praise our king, we set our hearts, we set our soul, we set our mind to fixate on him Alone. Now, yes, there's many forms of praise you could get into, but we're called to sing unto the Lord. So sing unto the Lord, the chief musician. We see from this title that this is a psalm of David. We see this before in lots of the psalms that we've looked at. We see a psalm of David, a psalm of David, but there's more here. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, personal relationship, personal status with God, and a servant putting that status of submission and service to the king. Where does the heart of worship start? The heart of worship starts with surrender and knowing who God is and who I am. Where does our heart of worship start? James 1.1, 1, 1. 
bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we see the account of David giving glory and praise unto the Lord for the deliverance, guess what we see? The heart behind that glory and praise. It's important to look at the heart. Where is your heart in worship? Where is your identity in worship? Because if you think about it, if the worship comes and the focus is me, that's when we get lost in what the music sounds like, what the instrumentation is like, or whatnot. When it's about the Lord, our heart is just saying, I am crying out to you. I am singing to you, my Savior, my King, my Savior, my Lord, because I'm in full submission. When was this psalm written? David spoke these words to the Lord, as we see here, the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Now, if we think about this, we see enemies and we see Saul. What's interesting here, this is a portrait of the great undeserved kindness on David's part to not list Saul as an enemy here. Because think about the pursuing that he did of him. Think about the chasing that he went after, but he didn't. And then he has these enemies that he's delivered from. And for us, when we see enemy, when we see enemies, remember that reminder, 1 Peter 5, 8, there's one enemy, Satan. There's one enemy to focus on. Now that moment of deliverance, when is that moment of deliverance? Most agree it's not gonna be right after the immediate death of Saul. It's not gonna be right there, 1 Samuel 31, 2 Samuel 1, no. But it's gonna be the period leading to David's enthronement that you can see if you want to do that dive in 2 Samuel 2 through 5. Now, much of this psalm is also repeated, and we see it again in 2 Samuel 22. And that's the spot of the song that David sings at the end of his life. So many point to this being something that he wrote when younger, but then he returns to that song at the end, looking back with gratitude unto the Lord on his life. What does the song of your life say right now? What does the song of your life say to the king? Are you in praise to the king? Are you memorializing your journey of sanctification? That's something as we look at this psalm, I'm gonna be asking us again and again. Are you memorializing your journey of sanctification? Do you allow God to help you understand the past that led to the present? Do you allow him to do that? Because guess what? That's where we see his sovereignty. That's where we see how his sovereignty works. If you right now put a pause on your life, what are the lyrics of your song unto God at this point in your life? What would the lyrics of your psalm unto God be? This psalm is a psalm that praises God for his marvelous deliverance. It reminds us that God not only delivers his trusting people out of difficulties, and he does it in due time. He either takes them out of the situation or takes the situation and ends it. He will do that. But God also, as we see through this psalm, gives grace to bear the trials at hand. And it's something we have to remember. Do you lean on his strength or do you lean on your own strength? David, as usual, when we look at this, is going to point to full reliance on God's strength in the midst of the storms. The way that God gets him through everything, full faith on him. And you have to ask yourself, 
Who's your anchor? Where is your anchor? Is it God or is it self? That's a question we've got to think about as we go through this psalm. This psalm, as we go through it, will remind us to glorify God for the glory of his deliverance and for the promises to come. Do you glorify God for your deliverance? We've been glorified through salvation. He has overcome, and we are children. We are his children. Do you glorify that? God of creation. We easily cry out to God in woe, often. It's easy to cry out to God. But does the cry of your worship match the cry volume of your cries unto God in pain? When was the last time you prayed about everything you've been through with the Lord and sang unto him in worship with your voice? When's the last time you sang to Jesus? If you were at prayer, you have an easy out. You can say a few minutes ago. But truly, when was the last time? Now, the outline of Psalm 18, just so we know where it's going, because it's a longer one, begins with the faithful declaration of his deliverance. Then it's going to move to God's battle for deliverance with vivid imagery. Then it's going to point to God's blessing over his people. Then we're going to see praises to the person of God, the recounting of the battles and victories, and an end of praise to God for all he has done. Now, this lengthy psalm also has something else unique attributed to it, is some categorize it as a messianic psalm. And as we study this psalm, we'll highlight the portions that can point to Messiah Christ, Jesus, coming. We'll highlight that. Now, with that, we're not going to do the thing, though, where we get lost in the theological debate on it, because, again, people do that, where we get lost in the debate too much of the theology, and we forget the grace and mercy of the gospel. And to those looking for Christ, some really go on dives really deeply. I just say, end of the day, every page of the Bible is going to point to Jesus. So just accept fact, and then you don't have to get lost in your debate. But it is fun to see the links as we go through this, and particularly when we get to the end, Psalm four, uh, verse 49, we will see the quote of that in Romans 15. So we'll see the different ways that it comes together. We'll pray through and work through this psalm over a few weeks. And it's, again, a psalm that reminds us of a praying man, David, and a God who hears prayers. Don't forget that fact. A God who hears prayers. So tonight we're going to do the first six verses, and we're going to see three verses of devotion, and then three verses of distress. Verse one. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. When was the last time you said those words to God? I will love you, O Lord, my strength. David, who we now know is writing this as a servant of the Lord, that personal Lord, we see that O Lord that we talked about earlier in the Psalms, that O that can encapsulate so much emotion. David in this moment puts all his love on God and unto God. David in this moment, all of his strength unto God. The first verses of this psalm followed David's typical beginning of the psalm. We should start to see his pattern. Remember, we talked about when you get to look at one person's prayer or praise life like David like this, see the consistencies. And there's something consistent we're going to see. He starts with declarations of faith unto God. Consistently. Saints, do you start your prayers and praise with declarations of faith? 
Do you start your prayer standing on who he is and who he is to you as we're going to see that? We have to ponder that. We have to pray on that. And if you go through that and realize, you know, that's not how I start my prayers. I kind of just start whiny or I kind of just start talking about whatever. Start with who he is and who he is to you. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I will love you. If we look at Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, this is a command that God gives. It's a command that God gives. In Hebrew, these passages that we're going to look at is the Shema. It's the classic Hebrew confession of faith that we see here. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It says who God is, and then in that, what we do unto him. What do we do unto him? Love with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. And we see as we go through the psalm in the life of David, he fulfills that. And guess what? It's not picture perfect because we know the sin he has. But it's about the life of repentance. Now, Jesus gives us the same idea. If we now jump to Matthew 22, Jesus gives us the same idea. And he calls this the greatest and first commandment. Consistency of scripture. Consistency of God. God wants us to love him first and foremost. And when we look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then after it goes on to the loving your neighbor as yourself, but guess what? If the love with God ain't the way it needs to be, the love of other people isn't going to happen. Period. It will not happen. I remember a pastor that once had said, there's the love with God like this, then you can go to the other people, and there's your cross. But you cannot, if that love with God isn't there, it's not going to happen. So saints, while we see that, while we look at the start of this psalm that says, I will love you, how are you doing with that? Truly. Can you recite this first verse? I will love you, O Lord, with my strength fully. Where is your love torn right now? Ask yourself that. Where is your strength resting in self? Where is your strength resting in status or man? In social media world, our strength sometimes is in the likes and the retweets and not in God alone. The word love here in this form, it's only here in the Old Testament. And this is a person's love of God that is tender, that is deep, that is filled with emotions, impulsive feeling, you could almost say, with these emotions for the way love is described here. It's a love that is compassionate. It's that love of a mother of the child in the womb. It's the deep, intense love. It's that love of a father to the child. It's striving to have the love that God loved the world and gave his only begotten son, the love that God had for Jesus to give him limitless power of the Holy Spirit while he was here and onwards. It's that love. It's a deep and fervent love. How is your love unto God? How is your love unto God? Think about the picture that we get of love with the wedding. 
Throughout scripture, Jesus gives us the beautiful reminder of the bride and the bridegroom. He's the bridegroom. The church of Christ is the bride. And there's the unity and there's the love. And then we think about our earthly marriages. Guess what? Love is a sacrifice. Love is a choice. Love takes work and refining and growing and selflessness. How is your love to the groom, Christ? Because again, David is saying here, I will love you, O Lord, with my strength. For us, with the whole word of God, guess what? There's a little thing we've got to remember about loving God. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. So you could be sitting here and we're talking about love. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Now, how are you doing with keeping the word of God? Because that's your expression of love to him. You want to say, and I love you to the Lord. It's obedience. It's obedience to his word. It's obedience to his will. How are you doing with keeping the word of God first and foremost in your life? I will love you, O Lord, my strength. It brings us back to when we were in Psalm 9. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. When you go through scripture and when you see those statements, those declarative statements like that, I will love you with my whole heart. I will love you, O Lord, with my strength. Don't just read it and keep going. Read it, pause, stop, delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night. Take a day and night and chew on it. Lord, search me. What is my love for you? Where is my strength, Lord? Is my strength truly in you alone or have I gotten in the way? Verse two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God is so much for David. Think about David's scenario, 20 years or so, fugitive on the run, losing safety, losing his youth, losing family, losing career, losing rights, losing comforts, feeling distant at times from God, and yet steadfast unto God for his timing and his ways. No bitterness. There's moments of doubt, there's moments of frustration, but no bitterness. There's a respect for the sovereignty of God. Do you respect his sovereignty or not? Do you respect God's sovereignty? And if you need help there, see how David sees God. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Nine ways he holds God. Rock, fortress, deliverer, God, strength, trust, shield, horn of my salvation, stronghold. A rock, an anchor. And we know from Jesus which house fell, on the sand or on the rock of salvation? On the rock. A fortress, the protector. God is protector, deliverer, salvation immediately and long term. God being king, alpha, omega. His strength, God is the source of life and all. His trust, I will trust, is your trust in God alone. Because that means it's trusting in his sovereignty, in his timing, in his way. 
You don't always understand the why, but you trust and you keep moving forward. And a shield, it's a barrier from the flings and the things that come. Horn of salvation, freedom and cover, defense, stronghold. That's a high tower. That's refuge. That's safety from the enemy. What are the titles of God in your life? If you had a writing project and it said, okay, now let's play school, everyone. Verse two of this psalm, now write down what the Lord is to you. What are the titles? Can you say these nine or is it not? And you may have other ones, that's fine. And when you pray, do you prayerfully declare unto God who he is? Do you start that prayer saying, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Guess what that does? Puts everything on him. There's no room for you because the my, every my is about him. Are all of your my's about him? Or is your my about me? Notice in all of the previous Psalms that we've studied so far, David rejoices in the attributes of God, the character of God by faith. This is different. This is where he is doing it by lived experience in seeing God's faithfulness in action. He's lived it, he sees it. Now with that, that's why we should memorialize our journey as evidence of God's faithfulness. Do you have your only God journal that logs those moments in life that you say only God could have dot, dot, dot? Do you have your only God journal? If you don't, start it tonight. Get on that. Memorialize all he has done and share who he is. And again, we see the declaration of verse two of who God is. Do you pray with the declaration of who he is unto you or not. Because when we look at this list, when we look at the way we, he prays here, he's praising, David knew and lived that no human could protect him as God could. Because God was his fortress. Do you seek comfort from man? Do you seek security from man? Or do you live and trust in God alone? Horn of my salvation. Horn also means strength. David knew only the Lord could empower him. Only the Lord could deliver him. Saints, there's more for us. Acts 1.8. We've talked about it a bunch. Holy Spirit came down on that day of Pentecost to empower them to do what the Lord called them to do. Do you lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the ability to endure or not? We're going to be continuing on in John 4 with the living water. Wait till you see the relation of that to the Holy Spirit. There is deep depth meaning here for us. David says all of this to God. We say all of this not only to God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, my trust, my shield, horn of my salvation, my stronghold, but we have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the triune God. We have the awareness of that. And that shifts it for us because if you look, turn with me to Colossians uh, chapter 3. Colossians 3 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now that's a beautiful verse that applies to us for the safety we have 
But let's look at what's around that verse. Let's look at verse one of three. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So this starts giving us that reminder. Focus on the eternal. For us who have it all, the word of God being it all, not wealth, prosperity, just to be clear. We have the full word of God. Look to eternity. And guess what? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You feel dangers coming? Memorize that verse. It's a short one. You died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are safe forever. Period. I don't care what comes at you. Now that safety doesn't mean peaches and cream. I want to remind you. It could mean that you die. He takes your life. But you have eternal security. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Then there's what we need to do, saints. Therefore, that big therefore, because of all of what you've seen, so that you can say, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked and you lived in them. Leave the old there. And remember, those who are rejecting, what do we see in John? They're abiding in that wrath right now. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. We got to put those off. Anger, check yourself. The mouth, when you're at work, they're making those off-color jokes. Where are you in the middle of that? Ha, 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 that's so funny. You're agreeing. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So for us, that security, fortress, deliverer, stronghold, all of that is tied to Christ. And as we're seeing in John 3, we're seeing in John 4, the unifier, the one who goes to the despised. For us, the deliverance unto salvation is a game changer because we're a new man and we have unity in Christ. And that's why Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Because guess who it's about? Jesus. Guess who it's about? God, not us. Now the the, the combining of verse one and verse two of this psalm, going back to our text, when we recall all of that, our love for him, the strength in him, and for us with the whole word of God, what we just looked at in Colossians, leaving the old man, putting on the new man, guess what? We land at verse three. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. David calls upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Who is the call unto? God. Who's worthy of praise? God. Who saves from enemies? God. Only God is the one to call unto. Only God is the one to praise. Only God is the one who grants deliverance. David puts all of his attention upwards in this declarative moment. Nothing else. Not on the circumstance. We've seen that. 
And we have seen David cry out to the Lord with these words in intense crisis moments. Remember that. We've seen it in the Psalms we've already studied. But now he's crying out for praise for his deliverance. So the question I've got to ask you then is, does the strength of your praise match the strength of your crying to God in the storm? Because sometimes we can do a really good job. Lord, this is so hard. I'm so miserable. This is so hard. Now it's time to praise. And you're silent. But you were very vocal when it was time to cry. Why are you silent in the praise? Why? Sing unto him. Does the strength of your praise match the strength of your crying? Now, before we go down a rabbit hole of thinking, wow, look at this guy, David. He had it all together. He was perfect. We know he wasn't. We know that really well. But I want us to realize the battle he had also with reality of his life. 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. But if we look at the first part of that, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. In that moment, if I just extract that, does that sound like somebody who's putting their full faith in God the way we see him victoriously doing in the Psalms? No. Guess what? David thinks he's going to perish in the hands of Saul. David doubted. We all doubt. It is not about being perfect, but it's about our action, what we do with the doubt in the trials. Because we know David ends up turning to faith in God, relying on God's strength amidst his weakness. What about you? How do you handle when doubt creeps in? How do you handle those moments of weakness? David held to the God who could save him. The Hebrew word that is used there implies one who brings freedom or enables escape. For you, saint, do you rest in the fact you live for the God of deliverance? That's our God. He delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt. We see he delivered Daniel out of the lion's den. If you are a child of God in this room, he delivered you from sin and the law. He's going to deliver us from the great tribulation. Do you rest in our God, the one who delivers? Because now we're going to go on to verse 4, and guess what? There's a reality of imminent danger that David was aware of. There was distress that he was aware of. Verse 4, Psalm 18, where we are. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Death surrounding the presence of ungodliness drowning him. That picture of flooding water that's drowning him. How do you feel in the presence of ungodliness? He feels that drowning, and guess what? David was afraid. He puts it right there. I was afraid. Saints, see the way David remained true and steadfast to God, also about his feelings. To be clear, I know I've talked about feelings sometimes. It's not that we can't have feelings, as someone would say, but it is that what do we do with those feelings? Who do we take them to? Do we look up or not? 
The feeling has to be taken somewhere. And David, we know where he takes it. As we pray for Israel, one of my prayers is that that feeling of danger, of imminency, of facing death, because this verses can relate to how so many of them people in that country are feeling right now, that they look up to the salvation unto God. That those who know Jesus as Messiah are sharing and they remember that he who keeps Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber and that they see Jesus unto salvation. And my prayer for us in our trials and the storms that we see faith unto God. Because what's this psalm about? Praise for deliverance. But in the midst of that praise, David is sharing, verse five, he was seeing death face to face. He could picture this is it. This is the end. We saw in uh, 1 Samuel 27, I shall perish in his hands. He sees that. The reference to Sheol is one of the pieces that starts to have people point to the messianic psalm of Jesus who's going to confront death. Another allusion where we see the same thing brought up is Jonah 2. If you go there, you see the same thing when he's in the belly of the whale. David saw the risk and reality of death as a possibility. He saw it. 1 Samuel 23, 15 is another place. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. When you think about the nature pieces he uses, rock, fortress, deliverer, he literally had to do that when he's in En Gedi and hiding in the cave, hiding away for his protection in 1 Samuel 24. He would be seeing the rock, the protection, physically, and unto God. David knew the feelings of death being imminent. David knew the feelings of being overwhelmed. And in the midst of it, what does he do? He knows God will keep him. He knows God will preserve him. Look at what we saw in Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. David was one living in the comfort and the sentiment that you see in Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and though the rivers, they shall not overflow you, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you. The sentiment of those two verses, he knew. And may that be a sentiment we pray right now with all going on, but he knew that. He knew God created him. He knew that there were command and promises tied to God. He knew God as creator and redeemer. He knew these things, and as a result, trusts. Now for us who have Jesus do you rest in the eternal security and promises of the word of God no matter what? Do you? We were talking in prayer about the fact that death could be imminent and we could be facing persecution here. Now, should that be the case and we get closer and closer and closer into that and were death around the corner for you, what would your perspective be? Would it be like Paul for me to live to die is gain? Would we have that? Would we have that same sentiment that we see? I'll get the, the um, Philippians 1.21. Yes. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that how you would look at 
death imminent unto you. To live, great, I can still do things, but to die is gain because it's eternity with you. How does David get to be able to have that sentiment? Back in our text, verse six. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. The key here is not that he tried to avoid the trials. The key here is not that he just said, okay, I'm not gonna do anything. The key here was his body posture. Because if you think about distress, if you think about trouble, what do we all wanna do? We wanna cower. But what does David do? He looks up. We have to look up. We have to pray. We have to look up to God in the midst of the storm. In the midst of the storm, he cried out to God. Not himself, not to a man, not to a self-help book, not to this person who's a prophet. To God. The God of in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. And when he cried out, guess what happened? He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. God heard his voice. Now the temple, this isn't the temple because it hasn't been built yet, but this is God's heavenly temple and truly looking up. God heard him from heaven. God heard his cry. Death at the door and David knows only God's the one to seek. Only God's the one that can truly hear me. Now you could be sitting here saying, okay, yeah, that's not the door. You don't know the troubles I'm going through. It's been hardship after hardship. I don't know how to pray anymore. Well, guess what? In Romans, we're reminded when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede for us. So let the Holy Spirit do his job. And trial after trial after trial, it's so hard. With all due respect and love, nothing you're going through is harder than what our Messiah went through on the cross for us. Nothing. I understand it can be hard. I understand it can be trying. I understand you can feel tired. Guess what we saw? Jesus felt tired too. Guess what Hebrews tells us? The Jesus that we can go to pray boldly sympathizes with any weakness we have. So take the word of God, put it over the circumstance and anchor in that. That you can have a psalm of deliverance. Rejoicing in all he has done. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. These first two verses, saints, before we go on with this psalm, over the next week, I charge you, spend time in those two verses. Please, spend time in those two verses. Where's your love? Where is your obedience to his word showing that love? Where does your strength lie? Is God your rock? Is God your fortress? Is God your deliverer? Is he your God? And we gotta think on that. It's like that's one easily most Christians you hear that. Of course he's my God. Let's do an inventory of your mind and your life. Does the reflections of that show that he truly is God on the throne? Is he your strength? Is he your trust? Is he your shield? Is he the horn of your salvation? Is he your stronghold? Is that that high tower that protects you from anything? Are you at a place where it's truly only God for you? Who do you call upon and cry out to in distress? 
That's what many cry out to, their cell phones, and they pick that up, and that's what I'm gonna go to and write somebody and text somebody and do that. It was good timing. Who do you cry out to in distress? Truly. Because that, that, truly, that reminds me, guilty as charged, distress comes, I pick up the phone. No, get on your knees and talk to God. Remember what we saw is the default going to him. Who comes before God for you? Does the zeal of your worship match the zeal of your crying unto God? Before we go through the rest of the psalm, have you started to memorialize your journey with King Jesus? I don't care what form you do it. You record yourself. You journal it. Whatever you do, memorialize the journey that you have with the Lord. Your journal of God's deliverance. Your worship song of your life with him. And lastly, before we go on with this psalm over this next week, I charge you, pray for Israel. Pray they hold fast to God's promises to the nation and people. Pray they hold fast and that their eyes are opened unto who the author and finisher of salvation is, Jesus, Messiah. Pray for the deliverance that David saw. Because David saw God deliver him. This is a whole psalm about God's faithful deliverance. Pray that they would see that unto their own deliverance to Messiah Jesus. The title of tonight's message is Only God. And truly, only God can bring deliverance. Because that's the faithful king we serve. But in that, take stock, take your inventory. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of shale surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and he cried and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. He's got God where he needs to be. That's an anchor. When you can say verses one and two fully and live it and walk in it and then can praise unto him who is worthy to be praised, guess what? Even when death is at your door, you know who to cry out to and you know your eternal security. So we're going to keep trucking on in this psalm next week. But really, spend that time with these first two verses. And really all six, but spend that time. It's time again, friends. Open heart surgery for this week. Go through that. Let the Lord search your heart. That you see where your love can be deeper. And where your strength and all is in only God. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for David's song of praise for your deliverance, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for the songs of deliverance that we each have in our lives, Lord, unto salvation, Father God. Lord, we continue to pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you, Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that you can help each and every single one of us let you search our hearts, that our love is truly in you first and foremost, Lord. And our strength is in you alone, Lord. 
in a society and world that tries to have us so strong on our own, Lord, help us to humble ourselves enough that you increase, that we decrease, and that you alone are our strength, Lord. Thank you for this time, Heavenly Father. Lord, we continually lift up Israel and all going on there, Heavenly Father, and pray for your deliverance there, Lord, souls unto salvation. Please, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Grant us your travel mercies as we go on, Lord. And Heavenly Father, we also lift Pastor David up again to you, Lord, in this trip. Please give travel mercies back and forth, safety. Get him back safely, Lord. We just pray for health. We pray for motion sickness, all the different things that would come that you just keep him steadfast and healthy in you, Lord, to do all that needs to be done for your glory, Lord. And prepare the people who will be hearing each message, Lord. Have who you need there, there, Lord. And give him, Dan and Ava, the words that they need with each person they interact with, Lord, pointing them to you and encouragement, Lord. And Lord, I pray for that pastor that might be weary, that might not know how they're getting started or what they're doing, that you would just give opportunity.